So I, I just, I just want to, I'm going to give you kind of a history lesson, believe it or not. And then I, then I want to get into this thing about patience. So I just want to kind of talk with you and, and lay, and I'm going to give you a lot of scripture. So if you like to write things down, and if you're one of those note takers, you're going to be busy this morning. i got a whole lot of scripture because I was just amazed. I, patience is one of those words and one of those topics that we just assume and we kind of gloss over it and we don't spend a lot of time with it. So we're going to spend some time with it, and, I'll, and I'm going to tell you the reason why in, as, as we get into this. But let's have a word of prayer first. Father, in that powerful name of Jesus, teach us to wait. Teach us to wait. Teach us to give you control. Teach us to have patience. And, Father, we know that we'll be able to come away with this, come away from this, a different people ready to touch this world for Jesus. In that name we pray, amen. And all the church says, amen. So the first three centuries of the church were very different from any other time in history. After the first three centuries, just after 300 A.D., the emperor, Constantine, uh, became a Christian. I don't know if he was saved or not, but he became a Christian, he said. So when, when he became a Christian, everything changed because now it was cool to be a Christian. How many know it wasn't cool before that? But it was cool after that, and in fact, if you wanted to get a promotion and you wanted to be somebody, you had to be a Christian because the emperor was one. So it changed everything. It's probably the worst thing that ever happened to the church. I mean, millions of people were becoming Christians, but they weren't really Christians. You know what I mean? It was just a popular thing to do. And, and when it's kind of been that way, society has been religious ever since 300 A.D. until just recently. I mean, for almost 2,000 years. And people weren't persecuted because they were Christians. He said, well, I thought in the Middle Ages Christians died for their faith. Yeah, other Christians killed them. <laughs> You know, it was, you know, the whole world was religious. You were either Christian, Jewish, or Muslim, but, but, but the whole world was religious from the king on down. Everyone was religious. Society was religious. Regardless of how it looked or what they believed, it was religious. But for the first time since 300 A.D., we've, we're now in a society where people aren't religious anymore. First time ever. This, the whole thing has changed. Didn't I tell you? Back in January, times, days are changing, and the church needs to change with it. But here's the remarkable thing. Here's the remarkable thing. In spite of how bad it was in the first 300 years, the church saw enormous growth, enormous growth. They said it was growing at the rate of 40% per decade. That's huge. If we saw that now, it would be unbelievable. The whole world would be saved in, in a couple decades. They said anywhere from 8 to 12% of the, entire, of the entire empire was saved by the time of Constantine. But here's the, weird, here's the thing. They had no motivation to get saved. Nowadays, people are still somewhat motivated to be saved. It's still a good thing. It's changing. (laughs) 
But when I was coming up, it was a good thing. People's purpose in life generally, if you're my age, you understand what I'm saying. Your purpose in life, whether you understood it or not, your purpose in life was to live a good life. That's the way I was raised. Your purpose is to be good. And so when you preach to people, that's how you preached. You said, you know what? You're not good. You need Jesus. And people felt, then people would say, "Uh, you know, you're right. I was raised to know better. I was raised to be good. But that whole thing has changed for the first time ever. It's no longer our people's, young people's purpose in life is not to be good. It's to find themselves. It's to have an identity. You've heard of identity politics. Well, it's not just politics. There's a whole movement. It's all about me. I need to find myself, you know, and I have a little God in me. Yeah, you got a God in you, and it's really little. I have a little God in me, and I have to express myself. And don't judge me. I am who I am, and you need to let me be who I am. But if you're not like me, I'm going to judge you. Isn't that the way it's kind of working out? It's like we're free to be whoever we want to be as long as you're not a Christian. Don't be one of those. See, that, that's the world we live in now. It's all about identity. It's about finding yourself. It's about expressing yourself, being who you are. And we got to respect each other. And we got to have all this justice for everybody. And that's the world we live in now. So, but the message is still the same because here's my message now. Nowadays, you, you know, it's kind of hard to say you're a sinner because they say don't judge me. But you know what we can say now? So you want to find your identity? I've got the perfect identity. Be like Jesus. That means you need to change your wicked ways. I mean your ways. You, you, you know, your identity, you're, you're never really going to be happy until you're in Jesus. Amen. And if you know what, and, and if we are Christians and if we do have identity, we, we don't say all these other identities are okay or right, but we love you and accept you anyway. So the church grew by leaps and bounds. But I'm going to throw something else in here either that, that, that's just truly amazing as I studied this, and I've been spending a lot of time with this. But you all remember Nero, right? In 68 A.D., he begins to persecute Christians like crazy. In fact, there was a fire in Rome, burned half the city down, and he blamed the Christians for starting the fire. So he stuck people on poles, covered them in oil, and lit them. And that was their power system for the street, Christians on fire. He began this persecution, and the church shifted from kind of what we see in the New Testament. Remember, this is 68 A.D. Jesus was resurrected in 33 A.D., so just like 30 years later. All the church began to go underground, and they began to worship in secret. And it was partly because of the... Of the, uh, of the need, you know, of, of persecution. But what developed was this. They began to realize that the worship service was sacred. And here's the deal. Here's what evolved in the early church. Listen to what I'm about to tell you. They, for 300 years, they did not allow unsaved people to come to church. 
And yet, people are being saved by the hundreds of thousands. To put it in a nutshell, people were not saved because of our worship. They were saved because of our lifestyle. When you look at the literature that was written in the first 300 years and the sermons that were written, they can't find one sermon or one piece of literature, not even one paragraph, that says, that teaches people how to evangelize. They actually discourage people from going out and witnessing. They said, don't do it. There were no outdoor meetings. Nobody got up like Peter on the day of Pentecost and preached to crowds. The worship services were private. They were sacred and only Christians. It's kind of, I kind of got this illustration in my mind. You know, and, and, and please understand, I don't care about little kids being in the service, but how many know preschoolers can tend to disrupt the service? They don't bother me one bit, please. And I hope they don't bother you. But they, they're going to do what they're going to do. Hello? They're not even going to social distance. They don't understand that. <laughs> Preschoolers can disrupt services. Why? Because they don't really understand what's going on. And that was their mindset that you don't put new converts and you don't put uh, 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 unbelievers in the worship service because they don't know what's going on. That needs to be reserved for church people. Now, can I go even deeper on this? They spent at least a year in training before they let them come to church. Sometimes, and this was not rare, sometimes they would take two years. Can you imagine? You can't come to church until you go to our classes for two years. Can you imagine how that would not work? But it worked. Not only that, but you had to have a sponsor. Someone had to speak for you. Let me drill down even deeper on this. Here's what they taught them. They didn't really teach them much doctrine. They saved that for the very end, and it was very light. They spent a year or two. You know what their curriculum was? The Sermon on the Mount. They taught them how to live. And then they let them come to church. Isn't this crazy? They taught them how to live. You know why they did that? Because they said, you know what's winning people? Lifestyle. And if we let people in the church who aren't really Christians who aren't really sanctified, who aren't really living the life, that's counterproductive. If people are going around saying, I'm a Christian, and they're not acting like a Christian, who wants to be a Christian? You know why people don't want to get saved? You know why people don't come to church? Because they see some people like us. They say the way we live and the way we treat other people, and they say, if that's a Christian, I don't want any part of it. You want to have revival? I know we need to pray and fast, but you know we need to do even more? We need to start living it. Amen. We need to be different from the world. He said, what in the world, preacher, does this have to do with patience? Listen, they didn't talk much about, about it. They didn't talk at all about evangelists. There, there, there were no seminars on evangelism. This is a shocker. They didn't have the Internet. They didn't have... They didn't have TVs. 
They didn't have 99.3, the light. They didn't have radios. They really didn't have newspapers because 90% of the population couldn't read. And yet, and no one's preaching outside of church doors, and no sinner can come in the church, and yet people are being saved at a greater rate than we're seeing today. Because there was something different. No pagan in the Roman Empire was living like they were living. And you know how they were living? Patience. No one wrote about evangelism, but we see scores of sermons and teachings on how a Christian needs to be patient. What did that look like? That meant if you were a businessman and somebody didn't pay their Christian businessman and somebody didn't pay their debts, you waited on them. You said, I'll wait for you. I know it's been a hard time. You didn't charge them interest. And if, they, and if tragedy really hit them, you just forgave their debts. And if someone gossiped about you, if someone turned you in as a Christian and you went to jail, when you got out of jail, you went right to them and loved them and forgave them. And you didn't take vengeance on people. Oh, come on, church. They, they were patient in their relationships. They were patient in their businesses. If you, were a, if you were a slave, you loved your master. I can't get an amen, but that's, I mean, slavery was a fact of life. When they worshiped, wow. Oh, I see, I want to get into this, and I don't have time. But when they worshipped, it was the first time in history that wealthy people were in the same room as poor people. They were worshipping. Here was a wealthy person. Here was a merchant. Here was a, a, a slave, and here was a slave owner. <laughs> and here was a workman. And, here, and all these different people were, were worshipping God together. That's why one of the most, this is weird, one of the most important things, and I didn't realize it was in Scripture. So You know, five times in the Scripture it says, greet one another with a holy kiss. They really violated social distancing. And at first, everyone just kissed everyone until it got to be a problem. Then they said, all right, men with men, women with women. That came a little later, but th there it is. But you know what? The kiss of peace, and in fact, the kiss of peace has lasted all the way up to now. If you go to, for instance, if you go to a Catholic church, just before communion, they will have everyone turn around, not kiss each other, but they would, they would, they would say, peace be with you and also with you. That came from that kiss. And that kiss became the most important part of the worship service, really, except for maybe the meal they had together. But it became one of the most important parts of the worship service because a slave was being kissed by a wealthy person. And that hadn't happened in thousands of years. They were all equal in the worship service. Boy, I can't imagine pastoring that group People who would never have anything to do with each other were now worshiping together. And it never happened before. And they wanted to protect that so they didn't let the heathen come in. But people began to get saved. And they went to classes. By the way, what would you think? And it will take at least 12 weeks. What if I preached a series? I've never done this. What if I preached a series on the Sermon on the Mount? 
that does, it doesn't sound like you're too interested. I don't, okay, okay. I mean, it would take a while to get through it. But instead, you know, what's more important, teaching you how to live or we believe this is what we believe? Yeah, I know, that's what we believe. But we need to know how to live. We need to learn patience with each other and, and, and with the Lord. Listen, the early church, they were so different because if you were a widow and you didn't have, you know, a son or a father or a brother to take care of you, you know who took care of you? There were no stimulus checks. You, you generally just starved to death. Guess who took care of these widows? I'm not just talking about saved widows. I'm talking about all the widows. They took care of pagan widows. You know what? They, they didn't do, uh, abortions were legal, but they didn't do a lot of abortions. And the reason they didn't, because it was legal if you had a child and you didn't want that child, you can take that child to the city dump and leave him her, or her there. And that was legal. Just leave them. They called it exposure, and they would expose that baby, and it would die. Guess who went to the city dump every day and picked up the babies? And they saw them do it. Parents would die and children would would wander the streets. Guess who took care of the orphans? Guess who went to the prisons who nobody would do? Nobody would do this. Guess who went to the prisons, prisons and visited prisoners they didn't even know? Church. The church. There were two major pandemics that swept the Roman Empire where uh, a third, some say a half of the empire died in these. I mean, millions of people were dying. People were fleeing the city, and it was bubonic plague and that kind of stuff. I mean, when you got sick with that, it wasn't the flu. I mean, if I described the plague to you, you'd be grossed out. Sometimes people would die within a couple days. Within four days, they were dead. It was a horrible, horrible, painful death. And a lot of times when somebody got that, the family would just leave them in the bed and they would flee, they would get out of town and leave them there. Guess who found them and nursed the sick? Guess who didn't leave the city and stayed in the city and ministered to the sick? A lot of times when people died, most people, listen to me, most people did not have enough money to bury. You know, if you look for it, when you die, you probably aren't going to have enough money. So they would take your body to the public place where they dump bodies. They'd dig a big pit, and they would just dump. Most people, 60% maybe, of all bodies were just dumped in the field. But guess what? Christians would go find these bodies, and they would give them a burial. That cost money, but they did it anyway. And guess what? The pagans saw what they did. Sometimes during the pandemic, somebody would die. They would literally take the body and throw it out the window out on the streets and just leave it there. Guess who would come along, pick up the body, and go bury it? They honored the dead. Are you beginning to see why people were getting saved? Because Christians were acting different. Now, it's the power of patience. Let me give you five things. Five things, church. Number one, number one, God is patient. And if God is patient, we need to be patient. How many, listen, he says, I reign on the just and the unjust. You know what that means? I bless everybody. God says, I bless everybody. I'm patient. 
I believe it's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. I'm going to bless everybody in, in hopes that, and I'll be patient with people. People say, why doesn't God deal with this? Why? God is patient. How many believe he was patient with you before you got saved? He was patient with me. I don't know why he did it. Everyone else gave up on you, but God didn't give up on you. God is a patient God. How many could confess that God was patient with you yesterday? Your wife wasn't, but God was. God is a patient God. So, so Romans, uh, Romans 15, 4 and 5 says, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of scriptures might have hope. Uh, now, 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 now may, the, may the God of patience, do you realize that's one of his titles? He's the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another. As God has been patient with you, we ought to be patient with each other. You know, if you think about it, the nine fruit of the Spirit, every one of them work with, none of them work if you don't have patience. None of the nine work if you don't have patience. What's love without patience? What's long-suffering? I love that word, long-suffering. Did you, ever, did you ever study the Greek meaning of that word, long-suffering? You know what it is? It's really deep. You ready? It means to suffer long. It means put up with each other. Wow. God wants me to do Yes. We need to love one another. It doesn't mean accept sin and all this. Sometimes we have to confront, but it means to it means to put up to have long suffering. Number two, patience is the process. Say that with me. Patience is the process. Romans 5, 3 and 4. We got to hurry. Romans 5. And not only so, but we glory in tribulation. Y'all do that, right? Woo! I'm having a trial today. I've seen some of you in your trials. You were not dancing. We glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation works patience. Tribulation exercises a muscle called patience. Because I got news for you. That trial you just went through, it's not the last one. But you have built muscle from the last one to get through the next one even better. And patience develops experience, and experience gives you hope. How many believe you can get through it? Romans 8.25. Let's get going here. Romans 8.25. But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance or with patience. Patience, knowing that, next verse, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. It seems to be almost that what you're going through is really about learning patience. I can't explain why we sometimes have to wait on God. He told us to keep knocking. But for some reason, we have to learn patience because it's patience that's the process. James chapter 1, verse, verse uh, 3 and 4. Okay. Knowing that 
the testing, because I already read that, verse 4, <laughs> sorry. But let patience have its, oh, there's a perfect patience, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Oh, that's deep. That's deep. That's, that's so deep I'm calling the ushers back. Number three, patience works by fermentation. It ferments. It ferments. How many know you really can't get drunk on grape juice? Why? Because it hadn't been fermented. Not a lot of joy there. But after it goes through the fermenting process, remember what Jesus said? You can't put new wine in old wineskins. you got to keep renewing the wineskin. You can't, if you're still like you were 20 years ago, he can't put new wine in you. How many believe that during this time you've been stretched a little bit? We've been stretched a whole lot. And that's a good thing. It's okay. He's pouring new wine in your prayer altars, in your homes. He's pouring new wine into us, and it's stretching us. And, but here's the thing. You can't, if you look at the grape juice, you can't see it fermenting. You know, every once in a while, you'll see a little bubble come up. Some of you, that's all I see is an occasional bubble. Oh, there's a bubble. We got some progress. <laughs> I mean, I mean... <laughs> Some of you, I've been working with you for a long time, amen. And, and it's an occasional bubble, but you know it's working. I have to have patience as a pastor. I have to believe that it's not about one sermon that necessarily will change the whole church, but we just keep preaching. We just keep praying. We just keep believing. We just keep fasting. We just keep at it because it's a process. And if we'll be patient... We'll get to where God wants us to get to. Can I get an amen? Go ahead and praise him, amen. The wine will eventually expand. Mm-hmm. It will eventually expand the wine skin. That's how the church grew in the early centuries through this fermenting. A lot of church fathers back then, they talked about the ferment of the gospel. It's kind of like this, number four. Patience is seed in the ground. This is strange. You know, they told people, listen, don't go, don't, don't, don't go out there and give them the seven laws, the steps. No, they didn't teach them any of that. They just said, go out there and live it. And if you live it, it'll draw people. Your light and your salt. Go out there and live it. See, we want to plant seed in neat little rows. I'm planting a seed in this person. Planting a seed in this person. You know how they did it back then? They broadcast. They were just throwing that seed out there. That's where you get the parable of the seeds. Some fell on stony ground. Some fell on because that's how they, that's how they, they didn't have the tools we have today to work the ground like they needed to, so they would just throw the seed out there. Some took, some didn't. But here's the point. The farmer doesn't worry about what takes and what doesn't take. He just throws the seed out. God causes the growth. We've gotten to the point where we think it's us doing it instead of him. And it's not that intentional. You just need to live the life and broadcast the seed. Are you getting me? Are you feeling me? 
How about, we know that's true in James chapter 5, 7 and 8. I'm going to, okay, therefore be, be what? Be, pa- be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and the latter rain. It's a, listen, everything God does has a beginning and an end and a, and a middle, and we have to be patient while the seed does its thing. And we have to believe that whatever's in the seed is going to be real and it's going to be, oh, praise God. How many know it's all in there? And we just need to trust God. Let's go quickly. Luke 8, 15, some of these scriptures. But the one that fell on the good ground, remember, we, we, I just talked about that. Go to the next scripture, Hebrews six twelve. A lot of stuff in Hebrews that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience. It's patience that you inherit. How many know you don't get an inheritance until somebody dies? Well, in spiritual life, you don't get the inheritance until something in you dies. Hebrews 10.36, for ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. So there it is, there it is, there it is. You have need of patience because you've got to discover the will of God. And once, once you have patience, you get the will, and then you get the promise. We want it just the opposite. How about 2 Corinthians 12, 12? Truly the signs of an apostle, the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience and signs, wonders, and mighty deeds. One of the signs of an apostle, an apostle, is that he was patient. Finally, number five, patience surrenders control. Patience confesses that God is in control. God is in control. Nobody planned Nobody organized evangelism in the early church. In fact, the churches, the house churches in Rome never really connected to the house churches in Ephesus or the house churches in Jerusalem. There was no unified. Nobody was out sending letters out and saying, all right, uh, next Sunday is evangelism Sunday. Next Sunday is bring a friend to church Sunday. Nobody was organizing this. Nobody was telling people, go out there and win the lost. They just went out there and acted like Christians. Pastor, why are you preaching this? Because God, before the pandemic, God gave us a strategy. And I never did have time to share it with you because this hit. But I think next week I'm going to pass it out. And you know what the amazing thing of it is? What, what the Holy Spirit gave me in January is exactly what I would have written today. I'm not saying I knew what was coming, but God knew what was coming. Are you hearing me? Y'all remember those sermons back in January? Canoeing in the mountains, remember that? We're canoeing in the mountains, honey. We're where we've never been before, and God's helping us.